If you are new-ish here, uh, this is actually a really, really good summer to be here. Because this summer what we're doing is we're sort of unveiling and processing together as a church this idea of heading. And uh, really what it is is the elders have taken some time to carve out specific time to seek the Lord and say, God, we're about 10 years in as a church. Where do you want us going and how do you want us moving and functioning? Are there changes that you want made and all that sort of thing? So it's really good if you're new to kind of get a sense of what this church is about. Uh, some of you are members, and let me just say that your presence here is really needed. We as a church are going to carry out what we're talking about. So this isn't the elders and pastors to carry this out. This is us as a church. With that, let me strongly encourage you, all but command you, to go back. If you missed a Sunday, go back and listen to the podcast because you being up and aware of how to be praying and how to be pulling in these directions is really, really important. Our bread and butter, by the way, if you're new with us, is to go through books of the Bible. Typically, we take a book of the Bible and we just teach through it. And we do that because we lean and depend on God's word. We've discovered that um, that what grew the early church still is proficient and, and sufficient for us as a church. We want to hear from God. Uh, so this series is a little bit different in that we aren't walking through a book of the Bible. What we're on pause from right now is the book of Romans. And if you're with us in the spring, you know that we wrapped up Romans 8. We'll be picking Romans up again after Labor Day. But in Romans 8, one of my favorite chapters of the whole Bible, there's a lot of teaching about life in the Spirit. What does it look like to be led by the Spirit of God? How are we to cooperate with God in in living like the Spirit or, or with the Spirit? We use this metaphor of kiteboarding for the Christian. The Christian life is strapping into, inviting the Holy Spirit in to something they have zero control over. If you've ever been kiteboarding, which isn't me, maybe someone has, but you are wholly dependent on the wind for your progress. Does that make sense? And you're not in control of it. And you are strapped into this thing. And it's a picture of the Christian. Because the Christian is invaded by the Holy Spirit. And we are wholly dependent on the Holy Spirit to figure this stuff out. We sort of talked about this as a picture for the church. But we thought this isn't really quite right. Because the gathered local church isn't a bunch of individual kiteboarders who are in close proximity. Instead, members of a local church actually link their lives to such a degree that it's like they're all getting on the same sailboat. If you're just in close proximity kiteboarding, well, then you could at any time kind of wander off and you're not, you're not linked to the other members of that local body. We really see in the scriptures that we're to link our lives so that your success is my success. Your hurt is my hurt. And so a sailboat, we think, is a, is a, is a better um, picture. There's this collaborative effort. It's catching the wind together and taking the journey together. Here's what's powerful about a picture of a sailboat as our church is that when we gather, there's something that goes on when we gather together and we seek to sort of catch the wind of the Holy Spirit collectively. We can do things greater together than we can individually. Amen? You've seen this. This is the beauty and power of the local church doing that. And there's something, too, about being there working together and reading the wind and saying, God, our eyes are on you. We're wholly dependent on you to make this thing move. And there's something really powerful about that. Heading is a nautical term. And so that's why we have sails behind us. That's why we have this super, super nifty ship 
steering wheel. I don't even know what you call it. But Ann Flynn made that for us, and it's really powerful. Just by way of very quick, re- quick review is this. If you are driving a car, sailing a boat, or a family headed somewhere, by the fact that you're heading in one direction, it presupposes that you're not heading in 99 other directions. So, so there's, a, there's a clear sense of in going one says you're not going in, in other directions. Secondly is that the goal is to get somewhere. We don't just lay this stuff out and, and not move. Thirdly is that setting a heading is a very important first step. Charting a course is an important first step. But how much more important to persevere and actually accomplish the heading, actually begin to progress? Uh, and then finally, there's vision creep, right? There's just constantly course direct corrections that need to happen. There are underwater currents that happen to a church. They set off doing these things that God's called them to, and pretty soon they find themselves inexplicably over here pointing in different directions. So this is something that takes the members of the church, each member, to be to be focused on and pulling in some simple directions. Let me give you heading in one minute. Uh, and that is simple family gifts. If you remember those three words, you kind of have a heartbeat of this. Simple simply means that we're accessible and that we're aligned. We really believe it's not enough to be truthful in the church, but to be helpful. And we see Jesus doing that all the time. When I say aligned, I mean this, that we, we want to do everything we can um, to kind of pull our resources into some, some directions and make progress for the gospel in this neighborhood. When we bring up the word family, we really have grabbed onto this family, uh, this metaphor of family in the church, uh, in the Bible. That's one of the metaphors for the, the local church is that we're to be family. And we really want to seek to strive to live family. In addition to that, we want to lift up the family. That is, we want to be for the family. We're convinced that if your nuclear family is supported and growing and healthy, not only are you growing in the Lord, but our collective church grows in the Lord, and it spills out into massive blessing for our city. And so we're, we're committed to that. The word gifts simply means this. There's a simple truth that every single Christian is supernaturally gifted, and that God gives the gifts as he sees fit, And our effort as a church is to say we want to see everyone using their gifts. We want to see those gifts fanned into flame. We want to depend on the whole body using their gifts, not a small number of of people who are in prominent positions. And we believe the church is going to be stronger and better and all that she was made to be if we can do that. The way we're handling simple family and gifts is to take six weeks, and in lap one, which we've already completed, we laid out a lot of the biblical framework for why we think this way. And so I'm not going to recap all the biblical stuff that we did in lap one. Lap two of simple, we're going to get really practical and hands-on. You're going to see how this fleshes out in the church. By quick way of review, Jesus says this, my yoga is easy, my burden is light. And then he says, learn from me. And when you think about the simplicity of Jesus, think about how accessible Jesus and his message were to common people. What does the word incarnation mean? Some, someone. Incarnation. What does that mean? It's when God became a man. God in Abad, right? When God put himself in a man in the, in the form of Jesus Christ, that is the ultimate expression of getting close to human beings where we can identify with him, where we can identify with his message. What's powerful as you read the Gospels is this. Jesus spoke in the common dialect of the everyday people, not the language of the elites. Jesus used metaphors like seeds and farming and seasons because he was talking to an agricultural society. Jesus actually had to teach his disciples, no, 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 let the kids come to me. He was accessible. He was supremely accessible.
We want to do everything in our power as a church to mimic Jesus, to learn from him and say, if there are roadblocks that we're doing to keep people who are far from God, remain far from God, then far be it from us. We want to strip that away. Secondly, it was uncluttered. Uh, When you think about Jesus, he offers this simple relationship with God the Father through himself. Contrast that to the keepers of religion of the day, Pharisees and scribes. Remember, they had 613 laws and commands, and their their pastime was to rank and order them, and then to look at all the people and see how they were doing with all the law-keeping. The common people couldn't even memorize the 613 commands, much less hope to fulfill them. Jesus comes along and says this, all of the law and the prophets are summed up in this command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, and there's a second one like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can you memorize those two things? Of course you can. That's Jesus uncluttering things and making it simple again. And when you look at alignment, Jesus came with a mission to complete, and he did it. And everything that he did and everything that he said wasn't wasted. It was driving toward completing his mission. If you think about our church as a sailboat, what kind of sailboat would it be? I think it would be a racing sailboat. Because we have a race to run. Our life together as a church is not a cruise to be enjoyed. It is a race to run. And if you get that in your head, it changes your picture of what church is about. And it, it's really a, a powerful thing. Nobody ever said that Christianity was easy, but Christianity certainly is simple. What was God's one command in the Garden of Eden? What was it? Call it out. Don't eat the fruit of how many trees? One tree. Are we clear on that? It's easy, right? Um, if you take uh, the cost of discipleship, Jesus made it really clear, you will die. It's going to cost you everything. When you take all of the law, the message of all the law, what's the big message? Here it is, ready? We are in trouble. Like, we don't measure up. That's the law, in a nutshell. Romans does a brilliant job in three chapters of showing we are ruined as a human race. That's the message of the law. What's the plan of redemption that you can be free and forgiven in Christ? Really, really simple. Can children understand this? Absolutely, and they do. What is the cost of that redemption? It's a perfect sacrifice. You can boil Christianity down. I believe the Bible is a complex book that speaks to the most brilliant minds that have ever lived, and yet it's boiled down to some very simple truths. Not easy truths, but simple to comprehend, simple to grasp truths. Now, you can see from where you are sitting that I seem to be super, super excited about simple. And you're probably wondering this question. Why is he so excited about simple and how can I get excited about simple? I know you're wondering that. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you four reasons why you should be excited about simple. Here they are. If you want to write them down, write them down. If you don't write them down, they won't hurt my feelings. Here's number one. You will not ask, you will not be asked to be on a committee. Can I get an amen on that? Can we just say that churches for far too long have have excelled at committees and meetings and they've lacked in other gospel parts of being a church? And so we at this church have, have strived and will continue to strive to say this. Committees are not bad. But committees have the potential to kind of get us off into an eddy. An eddy, if you're river rafting, is this little swirling area. It's like a, it's like a cul-de-sac of meetings where we just keep meeting and meeting and meeting. And what's next on the agenda? Well, we have to, we have to, you know, we have to, to vote on another committee chair and another committee secretary. And all of our time ends up just in meetings. And what we say is this. We want to have nimble teams versus mounds and mounds of committees. Here's an example of a, of a nimble team. We have a flow of the valley 
that creates pockets of time. I've had some people come and say, Dave, we just launched a product. We just finished with some craziness at work. I'm going to be open for the next six weeks. Jim Cook is a great example of this. He's a fireman. So he will call me once in a while or we'll see each other. And all he says is this. He says, Dave, I'm off for the next three days. When Jim Cook tells me he's off for the next six, uh, three days, what he's telling me is this. If there are ministry needs, things that come up, would you please call me? I'm available in this window of time. We had someone, uh, how many of you attended the Tenebrae service on Good Friday of this year? Raise your hand. Okay. Tenebrae is this powerful commemoration of the death of Jesus Christ before we get to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a phenomenal bookend to sort of Holy Week and sort of looking at the whole package. We have celebrated Tenebrae as a family before because it's a very moving service. And yet in the grand scheme of things, we've just not done it here because it was one more thing for Ben and I to do. And we didn't have our time to do it, so we didn't do it. Praise God, this church promotes people having an idea, being responsive to the Spirit, and raising their hand and saying, hey, I have an idea, can we do this? A person approached me, hey, can we do Tenebrae service this year? I'm willing to head it up. I said, absolutely, fantastic. So this person built a team, all kinds of you, I'm looking at people who were involved in this service, and all kinds of you practiced and rehearsed and got the whole thing done, and I, as the pastor, got to come and sit with my family right over here where the Routens are sitting, and just enjoy the service. Um, and it was a beautiful picture of sort of a nimble team that formed because a person had some time off around that time and carved it out and set it aside for the Lord. That's what I'm talking about, a nimble team. That team doesn't exist for all of time. We may do Tenebrae this coming year. We may not. But that nimble team rose up and accomplished something. Um, let me say this, too. We have on-ramps and off-ramps at this church. What I mean by that is this. You have seen people stand from this front, and we have celebrated that they have poured their life, blood, sweat, and tears into our beloved children ministry for three years, and now is the time for them to hand off the, the baton for someone else. And we celebrate people ending ministry around here. You know why? Because there's seasons. And we don't want to just rope you into a position and say, sweet, we have someone with a pulse in that position. We'll never think about them again. We want you serving where God has you serving. And so we celebrate people coming into ministry. We celebrate people going out of ministry. Here's number two. You will not die from an avalanche of programs at Neighborhood Bible Church. Now, die might be a, a, a too big of a word, but certainly choices, too many choices can paralyze us. Have you run into the chip aisle at Safeway? Right, And if you're just instructed with get some chips for the party. If it's get some chips for you, you know what chips you like. You grab the chips. But if you're there, you're like, I don't know what people like. And, and, and it can be paralyzing to, to have that. Um, worse than being paralyzed, though, is the whole idea of the body not exercising their spiritual strength. How many of you have had your arm in a cast before? Let me see your hands. Have you ever had? Okay. When you first get that arm out of the cast, what does it look like? Terrible. It looks awful, right? When you compare it next to your other arm, it looks, it looks otherworldly. Why? Because it's not been used. Atrophy has set in, and it's just this shriveled, weird little appendage hanging from your shoulder, and your other arm, even if it's not your dominant hand, looks way better and healthy and all of that. Why? There's muscle tone because it's been used. Right, And so in the body of Christ, if a small handful of perceived 
talented people do all the work of the ministry, the body atrophies and the church looks a little bit like this. And when it's called on to step in and do some work, it's weak and flimsy and has no stamina whatsoever. We think that that's nonsense. Part of what overprogrammed churches can produce is a consumer, it can feed a consumer mindset. A consumer mindset is this. You show up at a church and have you ever been to Cheesecake Factory? That's a big menu. If you're a waiter at Cheesecake Factory, props to you. I don't know how you know everything that's in there. But for me, it takes 20 minutes just to read through all the options. Some people come to church and they go, hmm, I'm going to circle that one. I might, I might check that one out. I might check that one out. I'm not against program churches. I don't think anyone's against program churches. But what happens is sometimes that feeds the consumer mentality. What's in it for me? And we sit back and we go, yeah, church was pretty decent. I got fed a little bit today. And we go to a program, we go, ah, that, that one's not doing it for me anymore. I'm going to try this one. And it can really sort of do some, some bizarre things instead of nurturing, calling out, and depending on the whole body of Christ uh, doing what it's called to do. The second thing that I think is um, possible with overly programmed churches is this. Someone could come and say, I am a... Um, a widowed person who likes technology but doesn't work in the field uh, but enjoys collecting butterflies, is there a small group for me? I, I, want, one, I want one that with people like me that all have that same interest. And we say, yeah, we don't really have that kind of small group. Check the church down the street. Um, we, we think there's artificial divisions that can occur when you have a program for every single thing under the sun. We have some incredible... College students. I'll pick on our college students for a second. We just have some incredible college students around this church. It would terrify me to take all of their awesomeness and remove it from what we're doing right now, remove it from midweek, remove it from our summer missions trip, remove it from our local neighborhood outreaches, and put that all there together by themselves. Frankly, there's a lot of other older awesomeness that our college students need. And so it thrills me every single week, not just to be looking at college, high school, middle school, but to see them behind me serving, to know that they're here before me sometimes and after me emptying trash and serving and doing things and dreaming up responsible uh, ministries. So uh, so that's number two. Number three is this. You get to be a real-life action figure, okay? I know this appeals to the junior high boy in you. Here's what we mean by this. We mean that we are going to have a, a bias toward action over process. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that a, a bias toward action instead of process. Some of you are engineers and you're like, but process is important. I agree with that. But what happens sometimes is we can have a bias toward getting a process and a system for everything. And churches can be guilty of this. Maybe you've been in them before. Um, ready, aim. Ready, aim. Ready, 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 Bible study, some more, aim, and there's never fire, right? You never pull the trigger. You never execute. We have a saying around here called step of yes. Step of yes is this. I don't know what God's will is for the next 26 miles of my life. That's a marathon. But I know the first step. The first step is right here. And after you take step one, what happens? God begins to open up step two, three, and four. And as you obey, you're developing and growing. And you know what happens is, in the midst of action, in the midst of obedience, you learn what process and systems you should be developing, right? You begin to walk these roads and say, we need to streamline this. There's a lot of people coming after me that could benefit from, from X, Y, Z. And so we're going we're gonna to figure that stuff out. Um, 
<clears throat> Here's an example. Uh, we sometimes have our neighbors. This morning, I picked up a little um, bottle this big that was apple and vodka, and then another one that was a Modelo um, beer can over here off to our left. So if that's you, by the way, I'll show you where a trash can is. We've got one in the back. Um, and uh, you know, you're welcome to be at the church. Um, but, uh, but one of you might come and say, Dave, it's, it's really tearing me up. Our neighbors are treating the church like a trash can, and, and that shouldn't be, and, and it really concerns me. I think we ought to take pride in, in this locale, and, and, uh, and, and, and you know, we ought to really start a committee to, to sort of help you know, solve this problem, and maybe we should pray for, for our neighbors' blessing on them instead of curses as we pick up the trash. It will remind, remind us that, that they don't value God yet and certainly don't value his church. And what I would do is this. I would say, can we stop and just pray? And I would lay hands on you. And I would pray and I would say, God, would you please raise up someone in our midst who is passionate about the cleanliness of this property, who has the right motivation and the right temperament toward the people who are making our, our church trashy and is uniquely gifted to pick up trash. I would open my eyes and I would say, praise God, he answers prayer. They're standing right in front of me. We don't need to do a committee. We don't need to take this to an elder vote. We'll just say, do it, right? And, uh, and lest you, you know, sort of hear that example and say, well, I can never bring up things because Dave's just going to dump it back on me. Um, the truth is, I might. I just might, um, because sometimes what people want to do is they want to notice all the needs, right? And they want to they want to kind of come and tell someone and fill and fill the pastor's job with all kinds of stuff to do all himself. And we just don't do that around here at all. Um, I'll tell you why I'm so energized as one of the pastors here. I am so energized because time and time again, I have you people coming to me saying, Dave, I've seen this need. I already know what you're probably going to say, so I've thought about this. Um, I'm willing to devote some time and energy and even some leadership to it. I, I've actually even started to talk to a few people, so I've started to build a team. Can we just meet this need? Does that compete with anything else the uh, church is doing? Do you see how aligned that is? That's coming and saying, I want to make sure I'm not competing with the church. Sometimes someone has brought something to my attention. I say, there's a person who's two months ahead of you. They're already doing it. Would you please go join their team and solve that need? Others of you have come and just, it's a small financial thing. It's a small physical thing. Hey, can I come and help the church in this way? And I say, bless you, brother. Bless you, sister. Yes, you may. Go Go forth and fix, right? Whatever. Um, so I, I'm inundated with people who are, who are already doing that. I love that about this church. I love that people see a need and long to meet it. Here's the fourth one. The fourth one is that you get to be bossed around. Now, let me tell you why that's a good thing. You're thinking that's not a good thing. It is a good thing. Here's why. Many of you are parents, and some of you have kids living at home still. In fact, many of you still have kids living at home, and you are raising them, I hope, to leave your home, right? You are training them up to get out of the nest at some point. And so you actually are, you know, at times crossing them and giving them difficulty and not shielding them from life as you train them to grow up on their own. It is the cruel parent who doesn't prep their child for adult life by sparing them from all of life's harms, right? The elders in some way are like the parents of a church. We are following the biblical mandate that the people in our care, the flock in our care, grow up. That means this. A predominant part of our job as leaders in this church is to empower you 
to use your spiritual gifts. And so let me speak on that for just a moment. By the way, here's how this directly affects my schedule. Monday morning, I got a text from someone who is leading a ministry that is not under NBC's roof. We prayed about it early on and said, God, do you want this to be an NBC thing or do you want this in the neighborhood? We both clearly got the sense it should be in the neighborhood. It's been going on for a couple of years. This person texted me, do you have some time this week where I could bounce some ideas off you? And, and this person was just asking for a little bit of coaching. I didn't have time later in the week. I had time that day. I said, can you make 2 o'clock today? The person said, absolutely. It was an easy thing. I would have filled my day, I promise you, with something good around the church. It was an easy decision to carve out time that day to set up about an hour and a half meeting of coaching because I understand crystal clear what God's called me as a pastor of this church to do. It is to equip you for the work of ministry. Would that my entire week was just filled up with just coaching sounding board things and, and, and celebrating and calling out and, and doing these things um, that, that get to happen. Here's what, here's what BOSS stands for. This is from a great little book called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And I just came across this. I've read the book before, but I just came across this this week. It's kind of a cool little acronym. Um, here's what it stands for. B stands for BOSS. Um, authority is not a, not a, a swear word. Okay, it seems to be in a lot of parts of our culture. The Bible says quite clearly, tell people what to do. Instruct people. But we're also given mandates as in all the different levels of leadership on how that should happen. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says that we should tell others what to do, but we should do it with gentleness. We should do it with patience. You look at James 3.1. It says we should do it responsibly. In other words, that, that we're accountable to our leader. So as we lead and instruct others, that it ought to be done in a certain kind of way. The O in BOSS stands for out front. What that means is this. The leaders in your church, whether that be your community group leader, one of the pastors, directors, or elders, they ought to be setting the example and taking initiative. You will not see leaders at this church who just call out a way of life and you never see it modeled or lived out. That's the example set for us. Jesus said this in John 13, 34. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Hear me really clearly. The ultimate example we are all following is Jesus Christ. He's the, he's the model. He's the example. But lest you miss this, Jesus appointed under-shepherds. The chief shepherd appointed under-shepherds. That's what the elders of a local church are, and that's what our community groups are. Community group leaders are under-shepherds to the under-shepherds. And you are to follow human beings, men and women, brothers and sisters, as they follow Christ. Listen to Philippians 3, 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. You ought to look at the lives of older believers within this church. Titus 2 says this, Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. A perfect model of good works? No. But a model of good works, and in your teachings show integrity. That simply means what someone says from the platform, what someone proclaims from the platform, ought to be lived out in their real life as well. That's the standard that we have here. The word S, or the letter S, stands for supply. Uh, Much of what is done in leadership at NBC is to strategically work to create space and supplies that you need to accomplish the good works God has called you to do. 
Ben and I talk about this all the time. When an idea comes up and we sense it's from the Lord and we should move on it, we ask these kinds of questions. What kind of barriers can we remove? Are there barriers that we could remove for this person? Is there some road that we could pave to make this easier and more smooth for them? Are there dots to connect? It's fascinating to me how one person will be stirred with this need, and I've never heard about that need before, and then in, literally in an afternoon, two others will call me feeling a burden for that need. I'm a glorified operator. All I do is I say, hold please, and I just connect these three. I say, you guys need to, the Holy Spirit is speaking to the three of you. You guys need to meet together. You need to come and inform your elders of, of and let's talk about it. Let's figure out how, how to work those things. That is a thrilling part of the vantage point I get to see from, from my chair. Ephesians 4.11 is a familiar passage to you, but he says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Do you want to know how to build this church? Don't look to a handful. You're, as a member, you are called to help build up the body of, the, of, of this, this local body by using your gifts. I had a great phone call today. We have a value we talk about all the time as our, at our pastor director's meetings, which says this, that we value getting things done through others over just getting things done right. We value getting things done through other people more than we do just getting things done right. We do that straight out of Ephesians 4. We know the tyranny of the urgent and our schedules say this. It's easier to just jump in and just get it done. There are times we just need to get stuff done. But how much better to rope people along and begin to nurture them and train them. And I had a phone call from someone this week, uh, three days ago in fact, and he called me, he's on our core team, and he said, Dave, he said, because you always want us to get things done through other people rather than just get them done, let me tell you about a story that just happened. And I loved it. I said, man, thank you for that. That takes way more effort. That takes way more roll up your sleeves, depend on the Lord to stir than it does just to go get stuff done. Here's some of the ways that we do that. We try to give away responsibility and not just tasks. Some of you are task doers. You're like, give me a list. I will do everything on that list thoroughly and you'll never have to check on it again. Please hear me. Thank you and God bless you. We need task completers in this church. But sometimes what we need to do is give you the responsibility to make the decisions for it and God's going to grow your leadership quotient. God's going to give you a way, way bigger vision for what's actually needed rather than just putting your head down and doing a few tasks. Secondly, we talk about this as a team all the time about how we can coach without taking over. If you've ever taught, if you've ever taught like a seven-year-old something and you have a propensity towards excellence, here's what will happen. You'll say, hey, let me teach you how to do this, right? And so you start to teach them and you're like, yeah, that's not quite right. And you're trying to hold back, but eventually you're doing it all. Uh, my seven-year-old is doing Legos right now. Um, you'll be proud of me. I haven't put a single piece of Lego on for her. But when I watch her do the Legos, I'm like, ah! Ah! and I have to hold back and I'm, and I'm there to coach without taking over. And what a thrill for her to come and show me her Lego put together, right? Here's one more. And that is to release people to ministry without abandoning them to ministry. Sometimes what happens is we go through the recruiting process and say, you want to be a community group leader? Great. You want to head up this ministry? Fantastic. And then we're, leaders can just be thrilled that it's handled and you never hear from them again. 
Michelle Whitfield is someone who's taken over being the advocate for all things Foster the Bay at Neighborhood Bible Church. It's a huge role. I warned her of that. I gave her a sheet describing the role. And what's, what's great about it is this. Michelle and I have all kinds of communications back and forth um, because I have, I have released her to ministry, but I haven't abandoned her and said, phew, all that hard work's done. I'll never check in on her again. By the way, let me just say Tuesday night in this building, some of you are already coming to this. Um, if you don't know or if you've been gone for a while, um, we have five families in this church in the last couple of years who have stepped into foster care. And that has created a tremendous amount of joy and a cr- tremendous amount of need. We have wrapped each of those families with support friends who are there to just walk through and link through with them. You may know someone who's been considering foster care in Santa Clara County. Invite them this coming uh, Tuesday night. You can find all about it on our website, on the city, and on fosterlybay.org. Child care is provided, uh, but that's happening right here in our building. So be, be in prayer for that. The last S of being bossed around is this. A distinct feature of Christian leadership is to serve. And if you want to know how to be a Christian servant, you look to Jesus who washed his disciples' feet and got low. If you want to be a leader in this church, the higher up you want to go in leadership, the more influence you want to have, the lower you will go. You will be asked to serve more and more and more. First Peter 5 says this to the elders of local churches, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, watch this, but eager to serve. So if you want to grow in leadership, I hope you're eager to serve because that's the kind of leaders that we have here. All right, let me just... Let me just give you a couple of really tangibles. Um, oh, man, I forgot to tell you this. In your bulletin is a phone number. Right underneath the heading of the title is a phone number. You can be texting questions about heading in all of its variety. How does this affect the budget? How does this affect this? As I'm trying to put this together in a few short weeks, there's such a wide range of topics that I could cover that this is a speedy way to do sort of a Q&A. So what I'm going to do is at the end of this service, I'm going to come back and answer some of the pr- most prominent questions. Some of them may need to be taken offline. But that number is an opportunity for you to text that number, and it's going to show up, and we'll, we'll have a short Q&A at the very end of this if I haven't covered it here. What I'm going to do right now is sort of give you an overview of some of the biggest ways that simple is going to impact our church um, sort of moving forward, Okay. Um, so number one is membership and baptism. Here's how simple affects membership and baptism. We believe that you do not need a PhD to become a member of this church. You don't need a PhD to get baptized at this church. What you do need is commitment. So we have an exploring membership class. We have an exploring baptism class. It's one session long, and we've done it that way to widen the gate to allow people in. Um, how about evangelism? What does this church do for outreach? You'll hear the word share all the time because we understand share. And if you think about share in all of its realm, think about this. If you were in this neighborhood and you were dying in your sin apart from Christ, no one has warned you that there's a penalty to be paid for your sin for living a life that is essentially flipping God off. What would you want your local church to be doing? I can tell you what comes to my mind. If you were to love your neighbor as yourself, I would want a church 
that is wholly dependent on supernatural power to reach me, first of all. I can't convince anyone to repent of their sin and get their life changed. I cannot awaken dead souls. So I would want a church on its knees begging and crying out to God for mercy. I would want a church that is attentive to the Holy Spirit. I would want a church filled with members who love each other enough that they would risk awkward conversations even. I would want them at the bare minimum to know my name as a neighbor. I would want them also to welcome them into the most important part of their life, which is their church family, and to just invite me to church. So just begin to think, what it, you know, God has sovereignly put you in your neighborhood next to that neighbor. Yes, that neighbor, the one that you don't even want to learn their name. That cubicle, that classroom in school, that sports team. Begin to pray and say, God, how can you use me to change lives? How about preaching? If you're taking notes, jot down uh, 2 Corinthians 4.2. 2 Corinthians 4.2 says this, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. One of the reasons we're committed to just preaching the word here on a regular basis, teaching our children to to learn to read the word, teaching our youth and depend on the word for that, is because we still believe the power of, of God through the word. We still think that's sufficient for a church to grow and be healthy and hear what needs to be heard. When you look at our whole youth department, our youth department strives to be simple in some of these same ways. We, we depend heavily on community groups as a youth ministry. We depend on the word as a youth ministry. We seek to pull in similar directions as the whole church. Uh, one of the giant sort of programs that we have here, aside from Sunday mornings, is community groups. We've poured our energy into uh, community groups uh, in this one program because as we read the scriptures and we looked for what, what programs should we have, we think New Testament churches should be doing what we're doing here, and we think New Testament churches should be meeting in, in smaller groups, house to house in some way, shape, or form. Part of why almost all of our um, small groups follow the sermon is because of this. If we are hearing stuff in here from the book of Romans and we're utterly convinced that we'll use it three days later, then we're, we're going to absorb a lot more here, right? Um, Chris has been in the military. I happen to know this. If Chris is being taught how to disassemble and assemble a certain gun type and he thinks he will never, ever, ever fire that gun, his interest level will be somewhere down here. You can't even see my hand. If we are in wartime and there are people about to attack his home and someone says, here, let me show you how to use this weapon to defend your family, his interest level and absorption rate will be somewhere way up here. Every one of our community group leaders I challenge and I think are way more up here. Some of them actually sit through two services so they can get it a second time. They go back and listen to it because they're going to be responsible to kind of coach people in this three days later. If you are a participant in a community group that is working this lecture lab format, by the way, high schoolers, you're going to love lecture lab in college. You get to study bullet points, then you get to pour chemicals and explode things. It's really, really fun. Some of you are learners in here. You get the bullet points. You get auditory. You just write it down and you got it. Some of you have to have your hands on it. All of us benefit from hands-on. The lab is the small group. That's where we can stop and go, I heard the pastor say this on Sunday. I've never seen this lived out in real life. Does this really happen? How can we work this into our life? That's the lecture lab format of community groups. 
I'm going to give you two quick tools for simple that I think can be applied in your own personal life, but but I, I would challenge us as a church to do this as well, and I think they'll um, maybe maybe be good tools to kind of grab onto. One is to simply ask this. What you are thinking of doing, what you are thinking of pursuing, ask the question, is it wise? Ephesians 5 says this, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I want you to know the elders have devoted serious time, prayer, and fasting to what we've landed on. And a part of what simple format emerged from was, God, what is the best use? It's your sailboat. We are just stewards of this thing. Where do you want us to go? How do you want us to get there? And we think the best use of our time is to keep ourselves pretty streamlined down. Sunday mornings and community groups are our two biggest sort of programs that we do. And it has created an environment where people are able to raise up, use their spiritual gifts, and see fruit come from it. What I love about this Ephesians passage is that each one is to look carefully at their time and how they live. It's not just on the elders to be attentive to the wind of the Spirit. It's not just on a few people who are to pay attention. We're each to be doing this to walk as the wise. Andy Stanley wrote this great little book, and he says it in in, in this. He says, every immoral decision was preceded by a slew of unwise decisions. Think about an addiction. If you are an alcoholic somewhere over here, what preceded that was this. You were of legal drinking age. You drank, and it wasn't a sin. But when you really look back at your life experiences your current circumstances, and where you want to go in life, it's not immoral for you to have that sip, but it's unwise to have that sip. And at some point, a slew of unwise decisions and actions lead to this cliff called an immoral decision. I could say that with an affair. I could say that with embezzling money from work. All kinds of things, right? There's a clear, definitive, immoral step that's taken, but it's preceded by unwise decisions. We as a church and you as an individual, I would challenge you to this. God, help us walk as wise. I think immoral and moral is a lot easier to discern than wise and unwise, right? And so we want to we search that and, and be together on that. The second and last one is this, to focus on the normal and not the new. We are a new, obsessed culture, okay? Um, I am using currently an ancient phone called an iPhone 6. It, it barely makes phone calls. I mean, it's so old. We, we just, we are obsessed with the new. Patty Smith showed me her flip phone this morning when I said that, which, which I joked, I think she stole from a museum. Like, you know, does that thing even work? Like, do they still make, you know, signals for that? We're, we're obsessed with the new. And when you look at what Christians have done for a long time and you study revivals in the Christian church, here's what you see. Most often, what the Holy Spirit of God does is he infuses normal activities Christians do with fresh power, not inventing brand new programs, brand new ideas, brand new structures. So in other words, Christians have always prayed. But in seasons of revival, prayer becomes more intense. Christians have always 
repented. We know that's part of our life. But in revivals, there's just an honesty, a gut-level honesty that comes out. Christians have always worshipped, but it comes more joyous in revivals. Christians have always preached, but the word has greater effect. Christians have always given, but in moments of revival, it's just sacrificial and joyous in a way that's not seen before. So here's what I would say, church. Keep focused on doing doing the normal before the Lord. I'm preaching to the choir because you're here at church. This is a really normal thing Christians do. Christians go to church. It would be new and inventive to go off and go cliff diving and be like, we're worshiping God by cliff diving. It's really awesome. Go to church. You, you can still cliff dive. Like maybe you have a cliff diving small group. I don't know. But like still go to church. Still pray. Still read your Bible. Like, like, just do these normal things. And we have seen and we trust God to continue to do some incredible things as we live out what we already know is on God's heart to do. What I want to do right now is this. I'm going to ask something heavy of our visitors a little bit. Um, and this isn't always the case, but this is just what we do sometimes. Um, I had put out a, a city message to our community group leaders earlier in the week that we're going to do this. But... One of the ways we're going to invest some time this morning is we're going to pray. As a church, we're just going to seek God's favor and God's face on this. And uh, the way I want to do it is this. I want you, if, if you're a part of a community group, most of our groups are broken for summer. We take a little pause. But find your community group and sit with your community group and pray as a community group this morning. It probably will require you getting up out of your chair and moving and turning backwards and this and that. If you are not part of a community group, find groups and kind of find a way to group together and, and maybe join in with one of their groups. But I'm kind of envisioning groups of about 8 to 10 that would be all around the room. If you are a visitor, if you are a non-Christian, if you hate speaking out loud in public in any way, shape, or form, hear me, you are not in any way required or expected to speak out. Just participate, just kind of join in with one. Uh, But for the next about seven or eight minutes, we're just going to, as a church, invest some time in our Sunday morning worship to seek God's face and and pray together. Um, So right now, Travis, if you can come and tickle the guitar a little bit, and the rest of you, find a group to gather. By the way, write down this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Jot this down. This is a great little prayer prompt for you as a group, if you don't know what to pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 to 12. If you want, just start off your group by just reading that passage and then praying what you find there. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 to 12. All right, so right now, pray and break up. God, thank you for this morning and for the power of uh, gathering with brothers and sisters. It's just a joy to hear the prayers of the saints. God, we celebrate that we are a church size, that we can break up and and do this. What a thrill to see the generations together just, just looking to you and crying out to you. God, we are wholly dependent on you. And we don't just give voice to that. We want to live that way. We want to structure that way. We want to budget that way and just, uh, just walk in, in that, in that truth in light of that reality. God, thank you for the many ways my faith is personally encouraged by the, uh, by the steps of yes, by just the faithful obedience of people in this room. God, I pray that, uh, just now, even as we celebrate communion, that our attention would remain, um, focused on you, celebrating old truths, God, that have a, a deep impact on our day-to-day. If you would just, um, if you would maybe just quietly, uh, well, 
You can stay where you are. The elders, I mean, the uh, ushers, you guys can begin passing the elements of communion. Um, it's going to be a little bit wonky because we have chairs all over the place, but that's okay. I want you to listen to a passage of scripture that will kind of set us up for communion. And the way we're going to celebrate communion this morning is um, just as the elements come by, you don't need to wait and hold it. If you're still in a circle, you can you can take it together. If someone wants to say a word or two, that's fine. If you want to just take it as we sing this song, that's fine as well. But we are going to sing, where we've kind of put to song um, what is of first importance, these gospel truths. And 1 Corinthians 15 says this, Now I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. The way we'll prepare our hearts for communion uh, as the elements come by is I want to have us just sing these truths um, that that are put to music. So let's sing, let's take the elements, and let's celebrate communion. Well, I want to loop back uh, on something I said just a few minutes ago, which is you could text your questions. We had one question, so I'll answer it. We have time for, for one. Um, and that was how to, to join the worship team. And uh, Rob behind me is probably the, guy, the best guy to talk to. Uh, one of the things that, that is true of everything, um, there's a visible part to our bodies, and the scriptures actually teach us that the inside parts that aren't seen are actually more vital. You think about your heart that you never think about or see, that's more vital to the body than the outward parts. There's a very visible part to the worship team, to the preaching ministry, uh, and there's some really vital underparts to it. So some of you are worshipers but not musical. There's there's roles for you to come in and enhance the worship here uh, at, at NBC. So um, anyway, uh, let me have us do this. I want to have us stand. One more awkward thing for the visitors, but we love you and we just are praying that you'll come back. We want to stand and grab a hand of someone nearby and don't let center aisles tweak you out. There's about a one and a half minute chorus that we want to just turn our attention to God. It's called To the Only God and it's just a declaration that that's where our our dependence is. So church family, stand up, uh, grab a hand of someone nearby.